0: Those of you who have been around CPC any time at all know uh, something or have heard something of our vision statement. It goes something like this, that we are a worshiping body of believers that is grounded in God's word, increasingly gripped by his grace, growing in community and going in mission. Those are those essentials. Those clauses, each one very so so vital in in the sense of determining our ministry, orienting our goals, and that in which we are about around here. I want to draw special attention, though, to the second one of those clauses, grounded in God's word. Uh, Grounded in God's word. You see, again, every one of those clauses orients our goals directs our ministries, our mission. To say that we believe believe that we are a a body that is grounded in God's word is to simply say this, that we actually believe that the Bible is the word of God. That in fact that it is inspired, as Paul says, breathed out uh, by God himself. That it is inspired, that it is inerrant, and therein it is authoritative. We take that as a given here. Uh, Standing under it, and standing upon it uh, at, at the same time. And, and you heard me allude to this back during the announcements, and we, we've been talking about this over the last several weeks, that there is a, a new ministry that we are in the process of of birthing here at CPC that is directly growing out of uh, that particular clause, being grounded in God's Word, and it's the, it's the CPC grow teams, uh, so focusing especially in on the the vital place that, scripture and in particular memorizing scripture has in our lives and it stems out of flows out of these three ideas that there is the power of the word uh, the need to have the word in our hearts and yet at the same time the challenge is to how to go about that it's just not easy if we're honest it's just not easy so I want to delve into that together Uh, for just a few minutes here this morning. If you have your Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me now to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Now, if you're trying to find that, then I can basically guide you very simply. Crack open your Bible. Right in the middle, in the heart of your Bible, are the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms. And and Psalm 119 is the the largest uh, of them all. And we're going to be reading just verses... 9 through 16, we could probably take the whole service and just read the whole Psalm 119, but we're just going to read only verses 9 through 16 of Psalm 119 to get at this question um, and uh, the significance of what it means to be grounded in the Word of God, specifically pertaining to this question regarding the role and the function, and the place of the Scriptures in our lives, and in particular, memorizing them and, and hiding them in our hearts. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these few minutes that we have to to be in your word together. And um, indeed, we ask that your word would be in us. Uh, We ask that your spirit would press this into our hearts, that you would give us uh, the ability to to understand what the psalmist is is saying here and the significance of that for our own personal lives here and now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The National Bible Bee. I don't know how many of you may have, have heard of that. Uh, it's been up and running for a few years now. The National Bible Bee is a quiz competition that focuses especially on uh, the memorization of biblical texts. And it begins as a a national competition beginning at local districts, different age groups competing. The winners at those local district competitions, some 360 of them matriculate up to the national competition where they're divided up into age groups, therein still competing. The Uh, Prizes are awarded, monetary prizes uh, are awarded, depending on the age group and and the level of difficulty and all all that. My understanding is this past year, the senior high first place award took a prize of $100,000. Yeah, so it's time to start. Um, (laughs) Besides the money, besides the money. What drives these kids to put in the many, 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 many hours that is demanded to even have a hope of competing at the local level to say nothing of you know, prize money in the national level? What, what drives these kids to do that? Well, last year's winner, Hannah Leary, senior in high school, give some insight onto this very question. And and she's speaking here of the book of Hebrews, and at the time she was wrestling through trying to memorize chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Hebrews. And this is what she said. I started, as I often do, just reading the text about ten times. At first, yes, I was just reading theological words. But then it started coming alive. The ideas were running through my head and there was fresh understanding. Not 100%, but the Lord was revealing Himself through His Word. It is oftentimes said that the three there are three uses of the law of God, the way it's formulated, the way it's been said through the years by theologians. And just to make it simple for you, I'm going to use some alliteration to try and make this point. So the first is the, the word of God, the law of God, is to function like a muzzle in our lives, to restrain us, to keep us, to warn us from just going off the rails. Muzzle, that's number one. Mirror. The Word of God also functions in this way, as as it's held up in front of us, we are forced then to see ourselves and the bentness and crookedness of our hearts, and therein driving us to Christ. Muzzle, mirror, one more, map. The Word of God also functions to lead us, to guide us, to direct us in the ways that God intended that He created us to live. Mizzle, mizzle. Muzzle mirror map if I might be so bold. I'm going to add a fourth Meal Meal we oftentimes speak of devouring a book and Our medieval ancestors would have understood exactly what we meant by that because for them the stomach was a metaphor for the memory The Bible is meant to be devoured. It is meant to be digested. It is actually meant to be memorized. To be hidden away in our hearts and stored up in our hearts. In fact, my understanding is, um, I'm not old enough to actually really have seen this, but ancient monastic guides said, in some cases, that if you wanted to become a monk, you had to have all the Psalms memorized. Memorized before they'd even talk to you. There's rich heritage in this. Now, you might, you might be saying, all right, it's fine, but we have our smartphones. I mean, don't we have all of that at our fingertips? Isn't it just all readily accessible? Well, of course it is. But my friends, access and effect are two very different things. They are poles apart, and we have lost something because we think we've got it all with our access. God has given us his word that we might walk in his ways. His word needs to be in us, and we need to be in his word. If I can just tweak the order of that, God has given us His Word that we might walk in His ways. We need to be in His Word, and His Word needs to be in us. I want to unpack this, take a look just at what Psalm 119 says here, and consider it from these three angles, and it's there in your, your outline there. What is this all about? What is Psalm 119 getting at when it's speaking of this storing it up, hiding it up in our hearts? What is that about? Why is it important? And then thirdly, how do we go about it? How do we go about it? Assuming that there is anything to this, how do we go about it? So first, what is this about? Well, we're speaking here, the psalmist is speaking here, of the Word of God itself. Now look with me at the synonyms that are used here. It's quite striking, this full-orbed picture that you get here in Psalm 119. Commandments there in verse 10 implying authority. Behind those words, statutes, that you can see there in verse 12. Uh, That is to say something with some permanence and staying power. Rules, there in uh, verse 13, uh, or you could translate that as rulings. That is something passed down from an all-wise judge. Testimonies, you see that in verse 14. That is to say, a testimony, a speaking, a word that is pointed to something, teaching us something of God's very character uh, itself. Finally, precepts there in verse 15. Detailed instructions in which we are to live. Now you might ask, well, why why all these different synonyms? Why describe the Word of God in so many different ways? Because it functions in so many different ways in our lives. And so the psalmist here, he's just Getting out his Hebrew thesaurus and going crazy here with all these synonyms in this little, you know, could find space here just in these few verses. But it's, maybe it might be helpful not just to consider the synonyms, but just the way he describes it at work and his, his feelings towards that which he has uh, thrown out all these word descriptors. Verse 16, look at it. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The the word there for delight that we translate in that way implies a quiet, almost reserved, peaceful settledness in that sense of delight. But look with me a couple verses before that. Verse 14, same English word, but different Hebrew. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. There's nothing subtle. There is nothing subdued there whatsoever. This is an exuberance. A celebration, as the psalmist recognized, the riches, the worth, the value of what he has here in front of him with the Word of God that far exceeds anything, anything else on the surface of this earth. That's what he is saying, pushing a little further here, that's what he is saying that we need to hide and store in our hearts. The Word of God, as he is described in that sense, this treasure. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this goes far beyond just careful study, the storing up and hiding. It goes far beyond just uh, in-depth discussion and conversation that we might be having about it. But he is speaking here of truly treasuring, hiding, storing, pouring in and letting it pour into us, dwelling in and upon it, memorizing it. Memorizing it. It's just just that plain. That's what he's speaking of here when he speaks of storing it up, hiding it in our heart. Why? Because we have these great riches here before us, this great need in our hearts, and they're in this need, this need to bring the two together. Uh, If you want to turn with me, keep your uh, place there in Psalm 119. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. You see something of this with Jesus' mother, Mary. Uh, this is actually a text we looked at back Christmas Eve. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 19. This is after the shepherds have, have come and they have brought to Mary and Joseph uh, the, the news of, of the angels and what it is that they have said. And Mary, in response, we, hear, we read here in verses, just verse 19 of Luke 2, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Then skipping over a few verses. Actually, it's fast-forwarding just a few years to uh, Luke 2, verse 51. This is uh, Mary and Joseph taking their son now uh, a few years later to the temple there in Jerusalem. Uh, He gets lost. Well, actually, they lose him. He's not lost. It's another story. Uh, But verse 51 we read, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. It's the very same idea that we see here in Psalm 119. The very similar uh, idea there of that storing up, of that treasuring, of that hiding it in the heart. And just in terms of applying this, thinking about where do we go? What do we do with this? I would just simply want to make this point by driving it a little harder and ask you to look at this quote there, the first quote in your quotes and notes from Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard writes this, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization because it is a fundamental way of filling our minds with what it needs. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. He's quoting there from Joshua chapter 1. That's where you need it. How does it get in your mouth? Memorization. Memorization. Let's push on here. Uh, again, God has given us His Word that we might walk in His ways. We need to be in it, and it needs to be in us. In us. Okay, so that's what this is about. Why is this important? I want to consider this by just considering the, looking at the need of our hearts. The need of our hearts. The psalmist asks a question which sets in motion the whole of this little section here that we're looking at. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's the question. Uh, The way, the way being, I mean, the the Hebrew, ancient Israelites, it's a Semitic way of referring to the path, the way, obviously, but that's meant to be a metaphor for our, our lives. So he's asking, how can my path, my way, my life be pure, be unstained? Un, un, unblemished? And that's the question that he's, he's asking here. And he goes then a little further, answering it, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And the, the implication there, even before I read verse 11, the implication there is that there is danger. There is very real spiritual danger. There is, are forces at work both within and without that we need to be guarded against. Lest we, as he says in verse 10, slip into wandering, straying from the Lord. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And here you see the connection. Very clear connection. We, the, the means of guarding our hearts is a storing up of his word. Bring verse 9 and verse 11 together. The means of guarding our hearts is a storing of his word. That's what the psalmist is telling us. That's the need of our hearts, which is met then by the work of the Spirit in our lives. Pertaining, how does the Spirit, uh, what is his role pertaining to? Scripture. Well, there's the inspiration of Scripture. There is the the reality that that fundamentally the Holy Spirit is the the author behind all the human writers of all the books that we have in the Bible. That's what we mean when we speak that say that the Bible is inspired, as I said earlier, breathed out, as Paul says there in 2 Timothy 3. That's a once-for-all thing, the inspiration of the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. That's a once for all thing. Now that said, the Holy Spirit is not done when it comes to his role in connection with the Holy the scriptures. Because still today continually all his work of inspiring is done, his work of illumining, that is shining light, helping us understand what he has written continues. For all of us. For all of us. Illuminating, shining light, pressing the, the, the significance, the implications, the application of the Word of God. Pressing that into our lives, shaping our, our affections, shaping our imaginations. And I would say especially so, when you consider what the psalmist is saying here, especially so when we have committed those texts to memory. So again, why is this important, what the psalmist is writing about here? Because of the need of our hearts and the work of the Spirit. Or if I can put it this way, God delights, He's not limited but well, he delights to work through means. And oftentimes he works through the means of the scriptures that have been pressed into our minds that then he uses to prepare us for whatever it is that he, we find ourselves in the midst of. We're all about when we know, when we're sure of a need, we're all about being prepared, Right? Just think of the winter storm, the big snowmageddon sort of that we had you know, a week and a half ago, right? I mean, the, the, the stores were empty of certain supplies, whether it was salt or shovels or sleds. One comedic sage in my house observed that given the fact that all the grocery shelves in Clarksville were empty, of milk and eggs and bread, Clarksville must really be all over French toast. And we were about, of course, to be socked in for a month, apparently, based on the way we were all responding to in in those hours leading up to Snowmageddon. My point is this. Allowing these scriptures to be pressed into our minds is a means by which we can be prepared for that which may be ahead like what like doing battle with indwelling sin like doing battle with the accusations and temptations and deception of Satan as Paul says in Ephesians 6 wielding the sword of the Spirit he's referring there to the Word of God itself as as we come alongside one another in love, off, trying to offer comfort and counsel to one another as brothers and sisters, as fellow believers, or even as seekers with with unbelievers, those who just aren't there yet but are wrestling and struggling, we long to give them, whoever it is we're talking with, yes, I know, sometimes we have maybe some wise, sage things to say, but how much better when it's not our words but the living Word of God that we have to share in those moments. My friends, God has given us His Word that we would walk in His ways. And yes, we need to be in it, but it, it seems, needs to be in us as well. All right, finally, this last point here. All right, so we've talked about what this is about. We've talked about why it's important. Assuming all that's true, what do we do? How do we go about this? Uh, now, I don't have time to exhaustively answer that question. Um, that's really what the Grow Team ministry is, is delving into. I will say, by the way, that there's a great resource page on the, the CPC website if you want to check that out for resources to check out to begin to delve into this and go ahead and get a jump start on all of that. But, so I, I don't have time to get into all the pragmatics and the nuts and bolts of the how-tos when it comes to this. I want to approach this from an attitudinal sense. How, how, how does your, how do your, your, your mind, your thoughts, your imagination as you're approaching this sort of endeavor? I would say three things. Humbly, patiently, expectantly. Humbly, patiently, expectantly. First, humbly. A willingness to chuck pride from the start and be willingness, a willingness to learn from others. Their experience. Their observations. Uh, I desperately need that, I will tell you. I am, you might say, recovering the spiritual discipline in my own life. Uh, Many years ago, to the the great credit of my young life leaders, when I was in high school, challenged me to, to get it to from the very beginning of my Christian walk. To be about this discipline, and and they they stood by me and held me accountable, and I will tell it, 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 oh my goodness, did that serve me well in my college years and the years after that? Um, To be able to learn from others is critical here. Something I picked up just a few days ago. This may help you. If you will put but five, invest but five minutes a day, five minutes a day, into the memorization of scriptural text. You know what you'll have at the end of a year? Over 30 hours. I checked it with a calculator. Do the math. That's 30 hours that you have invested, stewarded wisely in this. But just five minutes a day, which I need to hear. I don't know about you. I need to hear. I'm kind of like recovering this thing. I need to go crazy. I need to memorize Romans tomorrow. Five minutes a day, slow and steady, slow and steady, slow and steady. It's a very wise way of going about it. Learning from each other, walking with each other. We need encouragement here. We're going to need accountability here. We all need that. So humbly, how do we go about this? Humbly, patiently. Don't do Romans in a day. Patiently. Um, let me, If I can put it this way. All efforts at memorization, whether it's Shakespeare or Tolkien, or Paul are going to have an impact on your imagination. Whatever you memorize has a way of burrowing in and taking root. It will affect you. It will affect you. But pushing this further in terms of analogies, whatever whatever efforts you make at memorization will have an effect on your imagination. But here's something else. Whatever efforts you put into this is, and changing any habits, and this is a habit, is going to be a struggle. Whenever we're, whatever, you know, we're kind of a well, are we still in January? Yeah, just barely. So we're, you're, you're just barely holding on to your New, res, new Year's resolutions. And one of the reasons they're so hard is because, you know, learning, to learn a new thing, you've got to unlearn an old thing and that doesn't go so easily. I mean, it's like this you know, war going on. How much more so in something like this where there are actually heart issues and spiritual forces in play? So I'd urge you, as you're you know, considering setting to go about this, to do so humbly, but to do so patiently. Thirdly, expectantly. 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 Consider, if, if you will, um, just what the psalmist is putting before us here in Psalm 119. An invitation. An invitation um, that we would do well to accept. An invitation also, I would say, maybe even a testimony. In essence, he is saying in, in this portion of Psalm 119, if you were to read the whole, you would see it all the more so. Uh, let me tell you of the, of the role of the Word of God in the operations of my heart. Let me tell you, would you please hear me? That, that's what the psalmist, uh, an invitation and a testimony here as well. So again, how to go about this humbly, patiently, expectantly. Let me encourage you with a couple of, of uh, examples from church history. Uh, names you, you probably have heard of. St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, the Bishop of Hippo, uh, third, no 4th fourth, fourth and 5th century. Uh, it was said of Augustine, that his love of the Scriptures was such, and his commitment to memorizing the Scriptures was such, that he did not just write in Latin. He wrote in Psalms. It just came out of him. It just poured out of him. Martin Luther, centuries later, the great German reformer, before, he was a monk, before he even came to grips with the gospel of grace, Luther had a deep love of the scriptures. Deep, profound love of the scriptures. And that, in a sense, was like the kindling. And then years later, when the Lord worked in his life to help him to understand the gospel of grace, that kindling was lit. And the world was set ablaze. Humbly, patiently, expectantly. You don't know what God can do in your life. Maybe you're not an Augustine. Maybe you're not a Luther. Maybe there's not a one among us. That's okay. He works. He works. He's given us His Word that we might walk in His ways. That we need to be in it. And it needs to be in us. Let me take you, and just wrapping this up, let me take you back to the text that was read earlier. Roger read this from Matthew chapter 4. I want to take you to Matthew 3 the passage that immediately precedes that, that is really the context for what's coming there in Matthew 4, and what's again referred to as often the temptation of Jesus. Um, In Matthew 3, we read this, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So, what's going on here? Then with the temptation as follows is Jesus withstands this assault by Satan and therein proving himself to be the one that had been declared to be the Son of God. That's what's in play here as you move from Matthew 3 to Matthew 4. Which means then, that we can and must look to him in wrestling with and struggling with and facing our own temptations. But what does that mean? What does it mean to look to Jesus in wrestling with and facing and struggling with our own temptations? Well, let's just take a big step back here. Among other things it means this. That it's right in front of us. How he handled, how he withstood the temptations. Those three temptations that Satan throws at him. How does he handle it? Think with me just for a minute. Think with me. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. If he wanted to, he could have responded to Satan with original words of his own. Right? Right? And that would have been, because of who's speaking it, the Word of God. But that's not what he does. What does he do? He quotes from Scripture. He quotes from the biblical texts. Why? Why does he rely upon the Scriptures in in this way? Here's where I want you to think again about Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, in a slightly different light. The Psalms oftentimes, and wisely so by commentators, are referred to as the songs of Jesus. That is to say, they are not just ultimately about Jesus and pointing to Jesus. Ultimately, they are by him, they are of him, and from him. He is the ultimate singer of the Psalms. Okay? And, and, and so, with that in mind, Jesus, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, is really his song. You understand? Now with that in mind, let me read it again. And I want you to imagine Jesus singing this. Because he does. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. and the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Do you see? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, loves the written Word of God. So should we, as His followers. In this, He is our model and our example. And not just, I would say, in His devotion to the word of God, but the way he relies upon it in his hour of need. Think with me. Given who he is, the eternal Son of God, given who he is, if he needed to cast his mind and heart upon the written word of God, how much more do you and I? Or let me turn that. Coming from a different angle. Given all that he faced, a full on frontal assault by hell. Given all that he faced and what he found in that moment to be sufficient was the written word of God. How much more will it be sufficient in our lives given what we face by comparison? God has given us His Word that we might walk in His ways. Yes, we need to be in it. But it needs to be in us. Do you pray with me? Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your commandments, Your statutes, Your rules, Your testimonies, Your precepts. Thank You for Your Word. May it be our delight. May our hearts be, as the psalmist says here, be to know You, to know Your Word, to seek You, to seek Your Word, to walk with You, to walk according to Your ways. Thank You. Thank You for the promised and proven effect of hiding and storing Your Word in our hearts. Thank You for the countless testimonies of wiser saints who have gone before us and are still with us who can speak to this. They're examples that we can learn from. Oh, we ask that you would this morning stir within us a longing, a hunger, a desire to do this, to hide, to store up your word in our, our hearts. Pull upon our hearts, we pray. Compel our hearts, we pray. To pursue this in the ways that we ought. In the ways that you are calling to out of love for us. Knowing us and having made us in your very image. According to your very likeness. In your name we pray. Amen.